All right, 17 weeks down, one week to go. Here to break down the final week of the NFL regular season, Ben Brown. Ben is a data scientist at Sumer Sports. He's also a content contributor over at Pinnacle. And get that underscore key ready because on the platform formerly known as Twitter, you can follow him at Ben underscore R underscore Brown underscore Ben. I'd like to underscore how good it is to have you on the show. Welcome to Props and Hops. Oh man, Matt, that was like uh, that was a really good dad joke there. I know I get it. I I do get it based on every uh, you know podcast and radio hit I do now is like this idea of underscores. I do need to come up with a better solution. So if anyone has like uh, you know maybe a more acceptable Twitter handle for me, I am all ears at this point. But being a really generic you know first and last name, super common. I, I no longer have PFF in the handle, and I'm trying to you know move away, build my own brand. I might need to like change my first name or my last name or something or at least something come up with a little bit more clever than just uh, a bunch of underscores if people have any feedback for me i might like have to you know dole out some post christmas presents or something for the best idea i would say for sure well if the audience has any suggestions on that front or any thoughts or questions overall want to give a shout out to everybody who's joining us live across youtube and twitter feel free to weigh in with any questions or comments and we would be happy to work that into the show when possible Ben, to kick things off, you were a great partner in crime last season with weekly NFL roundtables along with Greg Peterson on VEASAN. I think this is an overdue first appearance on Props and Hops. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad to finally have you on the show this week. And I'd love to start things off by having you just describe your NFL betting approach at a pretty broad level and perhaps any ways that it's evolved over the course of this 2023 season. Yeah, I think that I think it's a really good question. You know, obviously, yeah, shout out to Greg for having us on, you know, the panel every week last year. That was kind of like an early week segment where I think in a lot of ways we did get to dive into at least our early week expectations for how some of these markets were going to evolve. And I do think that, you know, from my own perspective, like it was really beneficial to kind of be able to have those sorts of discussions with some guys that I definitely find a lot of value in getting their thoughts from. Um, and, and I think in a lot of ways, that's kind of been like my evolution from an NFL betting perspective. I would say in general, especially the last few seasons, I have moved away pretty heavily from, you know, the, just the game spreads and totals markets. And I do think you're going to hear that from a lot of people at this point, but uh, just trying to find edges, I would say in like other markets, very much that kind of started with the player prop markets. And I know we didn't get to discuss that. I, I would say maybe as much as what I would have liked to, just because of the fact that we did have that early week timing where the, the prop market wasn't necessarily available. But a lot of my, I would say, you know, heavier action, unless I've bet it early on in the week is very much going to be in the prop markets as we move towards the Fridays and the Saturdays and the Sundays. And then a lot of in-game stuff as well. Um, you know, that's kind of been where I've tried to at least better understand, you know, potential outcomes and things like that and really try to add some opportunities to my own personal betting portfolio so those were kind of where i was at last year i think a lot of ways like my focus this off season and moving into this year was in a lot of ways the, not only like the same game parlays but that's very much the market but like the four and five leg you know six leg opportunities that you can have that not only like the sports books but also some of like the underdog fantasy places prize picks those sorts of things like some of those sports and some of those books in particular you know don't really have i would say um, any sort of understanding or price baked into some of these correlated legs. And I do think they are trying to at least, 
you know, block you from doing some of the more obvious ones. But I do think there is a ton of opportunities for people um, to kind of build up some spots where there are more correlated legs together. And just an understanding of that has really kind of been where I've focused on this in this in this particular season. Um, and in a lot of ways, I think that's maybe been like kind of a shift to my betting philosophy in general and kind of where I started at from a, you know, a sports betting perspective and, and kind of where I'm trying to evolve through, I would say, and especially been, you know, a, a kind of changing from that, I would say, going into this season for sure. And speaking of correlated opportunities, week 18 probably presents more of those than the rest of the regular season slate, but it can be its own beast, this regular season finale. So Ben, as a data scientist, how would you describe some of the challenges that you run into trying to not just quantify a lot of the regular nuts and bolts, but also a lot of unknowns when it comes to who's in, who's out and who's motivated at the end of the day? Yeah, I would say from like a, you know, a data scientist and a modeling perspective, I think week 18 has to be, you know, in a lot of ways, the hardest week to understand and feel really confident in, especially if you're kind of, you know, taking that approach. There is like such a small sample size to the week 18 events. And it is so unique as far as like the approach from teams that aren't going to make it to the playoffs and have no way of actually getting in. And also from the teams that are kind of locked in or maybe have just a small adjustment to where they're going to be seated at and, and kind of those individual approaches to the point where we don't have a ton of historical data data on week 18. And really, we don't really have, you know, the, the same sort of like power rating type metrics that we would have on weeks one through week 17 for a lot of these NFL teams either. So I think in a lot of ways, that's maybe been reflective of my like not necessarily changing philosophy from a sports betting perspective but just where i think you know the the easier ways in which you can potentially turn a profit sports betting and i think for me that evolution you know started when i was first at pff when we were building i would say the nfl and ncaa green line you know models and products basically trying to attempt to build models that could perform well against the betting market, um, you know, against opening and closing lines and those sorts of things. And we did use, you know, power ratings. We use PFF grades. We use rest factors. And we would basically train models uh, based on historical data and try to derive, you know, some sort of like, you know, edge or outcome on these game spreads and totals. And week 18 was always kind of a really unique outlook because of that. It was a spot where, you know, from a historical standpoint, we had to size up what teams had actually any sort of benefit to playing week 18. And if there wasn't any benefit, like that wasn't a spot where you'd want to use that historical data moving forward either. So I think that's one interesting thing about it. But I do think, you know, the other side of that is like, if you are kind of this like modeler or guy who's trying to derive an edge from, you know, not necessarily being smarter than the sports books, but trying to find an edge that maybe isn't captured in the betting market right now, like, that's a really difficult task right now. And I think that maybe has been, you know, some of my biggest fundamental changes for how I've approached sports betting in the last year, the last two years is like, instead of trying to, you know, model out all of these things, like you can gain a pretty good edge being a front runner for some of these outcomes that I'm maybe trying to project or not necessarily trying to project, but maybe trying to get out of ahead from. But if there are injury news and those sorts of things kind of have this ripple effect through the betting market, we are going to see the sharp books, I would say, move on some of those that information based stuff quicker than the, the, the lagging books. And I do think, you know, deriving an edge, getting an edge by taking advantage of some of those, you know, softer books is very much, I would say, a, a worthwhile approach and endeavor. And in some ways could be probably even more profitable right now than trying to be this guy that can actually beat the books from a modeling perspective. And I think that that's, you know, in, in some ways, 
the, the, the dichotomy with where week 18 is at, because I think from a modeling perspective, it's the most difficult one to potentially handicap and handicap successfully and actually be profitable in that particular week. But if you're taking the other side of that, where you are more more so trying to follow some of the leading books and taking advantage of some of the ones that are maybe slower to move, I do think week 18 probably presents a lot more opportunities uh, than what most other NFL regular season weeks would actually um, would would actually offer. So I think there's kind of these like two you know competing approaches to sports betting, and right now I think very much being that person that can kind of you know, chase the the weaker books and kind of soak up that action is the more profitable approach. But I do think if we ever move to, you know, a, a, a situation where we have, you know, lower priced, lower juice opportunities, whether that be from a betting exchange and more of a peer-to-peer approach from a betting perspective, I do think that's kind of when, you know, the long-term play of maybe being a modeler, maybe being a little bit better from that perspective could actually pay dividends. But right now in the current state of the sports betting market, I do think kind of using that, you know, ulterior approach of kind of front running other books is definitely the most profitable strategy that I've found out say right now. And to briefly build on your speaking points to the unique nature of week 18, I'd say that two adages come to mind is I've started to approach this week's board. One, if you must win, you must not be all that good once we're talking this late in the season. And two, must win doesn't mean must win by margin. So keeping that in mind, along with all the insight that you laid out, Ben, I think we can get into some picks for week 18, starting with some sides. I'd love to see if there's anything that catches your eye as the board currently stands on Thursday evening. Yeah, definitely. It is. It is. You know, I I think you bring up a really good point, especially from like a must win perspective, like that very much feels overbaked in a lot of ways to the betting market in week 18 in particular. Um, so in some ways, you know, it, it's probably like reassuring to back some of those teams, but in a lot of ways, like you're getting a worse number than if that situation was, you know, a, a, an even playing field, I would say for both of those teams. So I think in some ways, like you said, you do have to definitely be cautious, but to me, one spot that, you know, I, I kind of going against what I just said, I do think the Buccaneers, especially first half, um, this this number might have moved a little bit, but I just think the Panthers in particular are are a team that nece- doesn't necessarily hasn't gotten that like dead cat bounce from firing their coach when they did do it with Frank Reich, and they've been even worse from a you know scripted play set uh, so far this season when he wasn't the coach uh, compared to when he actually was. So I think you know a first half number on the Buccaneers uh, to potentially at least jump out to an early lead. Obviously a must win game for them. Don't want to have that really influence your handicap, but I do think like where these two teams are at, I know the Buccaneers had a little bit of a disappointing performance last week, but I think overall their defense is just a little bit stronger than what, um, you know, the betting market is maybe even pricing in right now. And I do think Carolina, you know, for all intents and purposes, is trying to wrap up this season as quickly as possible, dealing with some outside distractions. I just don't think they're the team uh, that is going to be the one that kind of shows some life when nobody's kind of projecting them to be. So I like the Buccaneers first half. Uh, not quite sure if you have any, you know, preference on that particular match or not. I know it's going to be an ugly one. Not a lot of people want to tune into the Buccaneers Panthers game, uh, but I'd be curious if you're if you have any ideas or approaches on that matchup as well. Yeah. So personally, I was hoping that the must win factor would continue to get baked into this line and we might see the line get up as high as six or I know wishful thinking, but maybe even a touchdown that clearly doesn't seem like it's in the cards. So I went ahead and just plugged my nose, went to the window on a full game ticket on Carolina plus four and a half is the current number. Um, I think that there were some five, five and a half earlier in the week, but five, 
Yeah. Every half point matters, but five relatively a dead number. So if you do feel a certain way about the full game, that hasn't shifted in a major way over the course of the week. But I do hear you on the Panthers being one of the least desirable teams, if not the single least desirable team to back from a betting perspective. Not a fun viewing experience. And right. specifically on the first half angle that you isolated here, not necessarily going head to head. If I'm looking at Carolina for the full game and you're looking at Tampa in the first half, I'm seeing some minus threes with extra juice or some minus three and a half with reduced juice for the Bucks in the first half. I'm wondering, knowing how key of a number three can be, if somebody's not able to get down at every book and they can't get a Tampa minus three at minus 120 or better for the first half, would you say then that you would still get behind, let's say, the full game line of minus four and a half for Tampa Bay? That is a good question. I do think like mainly my handicapping angle is kind of on the, um, you know, like the scripted play set. So kind of like you said, if you if you lead in the Panthers direction, like you, clearly you do, um, I, I'm not as comfortable playing like four and a half as I would minus three from a first half perspective. So it probably is a, a situation where I would either lay off entirely um, maybe wait till game time to see if we do get any movement in one direction. Kind of like you said, it did seem like we would maybe get something in Tampa Bay's direction, which has not been the case whatsoever. Um, but if there was that sort of movement, like maybe that's, you, you know, maybe if it does move a little bit further in Carolina Panthers direction, like that would be a spot you could potentially get in on Tampa Bay if you don't have that quite quality of a number. But I think it's kind of minus three, minus 120, minus 125 is kind of like the last spot that I really want to play. And I don't think I'd really want to touch three and a half. And I don't really think I want to go with the full game to, uh, full game spread, I would say, either. Got it. All right. So let's say is a, a consensus I'm seeing minus three, minus 120 available for Tampa in the first half and, and maybe good up to minus 125, but we don't want to get any juicier than that. And I know, Ben, we have a bit of disagreement here as far as my inclination to back the Panthers in this one. You're looking at the Bucks Again, not going head to head at the same number in the same exact market when we're talking full game versus first half. You touched on scripted plays and how that could favor Tampa Bay earlier. Is there anything else to the handicap that you think is worth considering if somebody in my position just looks at this without knowing the teams as deeply as you do and says, Hey, like Tampa is clearly the better team, but at, at this number, it seems like that's already baked in. And then some that scripted plays angle sounds good. Is there anything else that somebody might want to consider before just going to rush to the window as if there are all that many betters who have any eagerness whatsoever to rush to the right. window to put down a ticket on Carolina. I mean, if I, if I need to pitch you on uh, betting this game or not, I would maybe just side with not betting on this game, you know, in some ways, but to me, I, I do think, you know, just in general, like, uh, you know, like the Buccaneers offense has been, you know, better than expected. I do think in a lot of ways they maybe ha have just started to kind of figure out like the Chris Godwin angle. And that has opened up, I would say, a decent amount for Mike Evans as well. And, and Baker Mayfield's played, you know, not only better than what people would have checked in the preseason, but maybe even like a little bit better than, you, you know, what his potential range of outcomes were kind of at the midway point of the season as well. So he's a guy that I think is, you know, continue to get better. And, and I do just think like, for all intents and purposes, like the Carolina Panthers seem like they are, you know, completely off base right now. You know, the the, the off the field stuff is obviously concerning, you know, very much like a, a team in disarray. And that's just something that I, I think they just kind of want to move on from the season more than anything else. And I just don't see any sort of life happening on that side of the football. So I do think, you know, from that perspective, you know, it, it very much is kind of like Tampa Bay or nothing for me in this matchup. Yeah, I hear you on Carolina being one of those teams that is eliminated and really 
a, a lot of teams that seemingly have nothing to play for are still going to be quite motivated. We don't necessarily want to bank on that applying to the Panthers. I will say, as I've isolated a pick, that angle does come into play with a team that seems eliminated, but I do expect a full effort. Honestly, this is probably my favorite card of the season. I'm really surprised to think that at this stage of a week 18 market. We'll see how that pans out. But for one side that really stands out to me this week, I'm looking at the Chicago Bears current line of plus three at the Packers. And this to me is the quintessential props and hops play. I've got a slew of betters whom I trust who take different approaches and have all seemingly landed on the Chicago side. So that much consensus might be a bit of a red flag. Don't want to get caught up in too much of an echo chamber here. But when I think of guys who have a track record, I really respect like Suma, Hitman, Rob Pozzola on forward progress, Las Vegas, Chris and Steve Bezik on the Bet US NFL show, Sharp Clark on the Move the Line pod. If Chicago cornerback Jalen Johnson is in, Clark is in on this one as well. I just think when I hear that many people who I respect coming at it from so many different directions, that can make an impact. And it's not just the fact that these people are on the game, but some of the context behind this look at the Bears plus three. It is one of those classic cases where it's a must win for Green Bay and the Bears are all but eliminated. In this case, I think with the magnitude of this division rivalry and one that Green Bay has really dominated lately, we can expect a full effort from the Bears to end their season on a high point. And looking at these defenses, Green Bay, they were fine defensively against Jaron Hall on New Year's Eve, but I think we've still seen plenty of red flags recently. They allowed 30 points to the Panthers and more than 300 passing yards to Bryce Young. They allowed a perfect passer rating to Baker Mayfield at Lambeau Field. And they got carved up by Tommy DeVito in a loss at the Giants. Of course, DeVito has since been benched. So I don't just think at this age we're looking at a questionable defensive coordinator in Joe Barry. I think there's also some questionable personnel, and that can really make things an uphill battle for the Packers defense against any borderline competent or better offense in the NFL. I think the Bears have that borderline competency at offense. And on that Chicago defensive unit, unlike the Packers, I think we're looking at a strength here. Since week five, the Bears third in the league in EPA, first an explosive play rate allowed. And I think especially as Jordan Love has looked for big plays being one of his calling cards, that's something the Bears might be able to limit in this setting. The Bears also playing at the best rate in the league from a run defense perspective since week five. I'm always a little bit leery of arbitrary cutoff points. I don't know why I think it was Hitman or Suma's handicap breaking down the Bears defense since week five, really being on a roll. So at this point, Look at whole season numbers as well, but I do think for the Bears who have been rolling for the better part of a couple months now, a few months at this stage, there's something to their defensive improvement over the arc of the season. And I also note the Bears defense on a major upswing against play action. So I kind of wonder what the Packers are going to be able to do to exploit any weaknesses against that Chicago defense. And zooming out from more of a macro level, power ratings for these teams just about equal. I know Green Bay has a strong home field advantage, but I don't think it's worth as much as three points this day and age against a familiar division rival, especially when we're looking at a point spread that's sitting on the king of key numbers. So Ben, I'll toss it to you for your thoughts on this in a moment. I'll just note to Tybo around this handicap, kind of a recurring theme for me this season, doing midweek shows, not always the best time to get the best of the number, but I don't think that means we have to pass on bettable numbers. So I will acknowledge Chicago plus three and a half was available early in this betting cycle, got snapped up pretty quickly. I think plus three is still bettable. And we don't have to pass on it out of stubbornness just because the best of the number appears to be gone. Of course, if we're not working with the best of the number, manage your bankrolls accordingly. But Ben, all that said, a long windup. Any thoughts on your end when it comes to this Bears-Packers matchup, the Bears catching a field goal at Green Bay? Yeah, definitely. I I think you honestly crushed it on on that handicap. I would say, you know, from like, 
you know, Pinnacle sports sports book perspective, like they have it all the way down to plus two and a half. It is plus one oh five, you know, from from the juice perspective. So maybe that's just like an over aggressive price where they want to get off of plus three, not necessarily reflective of where the market's potentially heading at down to plus two and a half. But I think from that perspective, like you said, like there's no reason to avoid a bettable number just because an early week number was better than what the current offering is. And I do think in some ways, you know, that's just the struggle with doing, um, you know, time-based content as well as like you, you, you're, you're obviously trying to time the market from your bets perspective, but also releasing that information and everything else. Like it, it is kind of in some ways, not necessarily a guessing game, but it, it does make it really difficult to time everything and kind of hit it perfectly, I would say. So I definitely wouldn't shy away from the bet just because three and a half hit. I, I, I'm with you. I think the Jalen Johnson, you know, it, it is obviously going to be crucial from a cornerback perspective, kind of limiting um, limiting what the Packers have done from a big play perspective. Um, I, I do think like Jaden Reed's availability as well, um, you know, it, it is something that I'm going to consider. I think he's still kind of, um, you know, iffy in a lot of ways, haven't had a ton of like, I would say early week information on where he's going to be at, but I think that's another key piece for the Green Bay Packers. It does sound like Christian Watson after not playing last week against the Minnesota Vikings is supposed to be back and in the fold, but if they're missing both Jalen Reed and, you know, Christian Watson, like that's kind of a recipe for a disaster for Jordan Love and the rest of the receiving unit. So I don't, I don't, I definitely don't hate the handicap. And I think just going back to our overall week 18 discussion as well, and kind of comparing like the Panthers and the bears, like it does just seem from like, this isn't a quantifiable angle or anything like that, but it does seem like in a lot of ways, the bears and the Panthers are kind of opposite spectrums for who you would expect to kind of show up in a week 18 matchup. That means absolutely nothing for them. Obviously the, you know, the entire off season is going to be dominated by what the Chicago bears do at the top of the NFL draft and whether Justin Fields, you know, it, it is in a lot of ways, going to be the guy for the, the future quarterback for them or if they're going to draft another young quarterback at the number one overall pick and I think you know to me it, when you have a guy like Justin Fields who is kind of like in a spot where he does need to showcase his best ability betting into that in a spot where you know you, you know the Packers are maybe just a little bit overvalued because of the must-win angle like that's something that I can definitely buy into from a handicapping perspective as well. So I'm very much with you on that. I haven't bet the bears, uh, but I do think that you've kind of talked me into at least taking, you know, some sort of action on them, uh, you know, line shopping basically after this match, uh, after this podcast, I would say for sure. All right. And one point behind a look at the bears, again, that defensive improvement over the course of the season. And I think that ties in with a question we have in the chat from our mutual friend, Tej Seth, a colleague of yours over at Sumer Sports. Tej asking, which season performances have moved you guys the most this year? I'll let you think about it for a minute, Ben. As you were giving your last thoughts, I, I thought quickly offhand, I'm going to go with the Rams because I think we all left them for dead before the season started. And sometimes as much as I love to connect with brilliant people in this space, people who are so analytically savvy and strong with data, such as yourself and Tej, who was also on the show earlier this season, I think that it sometimes can be a little bit overcomplicated, at least in my own head. And at the end of the day, the Rams have a likely Hall of Fame quarterback and a brilliant head coach. And those are two of the most important ingredients to an NFL franchise. So a lot of unknowns with their defense or the supporting cast entering this season and sometimes unknowns can break negatively, but they can also break positively. And if you know that you've got the quarterback and the coach in place, 
then you can still achieve an awful lot. So I was really, I think, had a blind spot in that sense with the Rams entering the season. And I'll do my best as much as I love to love to nerd out on the data, not to lose sight of the simple things that have also been tried and true in terms of how much they matter in the NFL. So I'll go with the Rams this season. I don't know if Tej is going for a specific team performance or maybe individual performances, but that's my initial thought. Ben, anything on your end? Yeah, I do love the Rams look, and I guarantee you that Tage probably loves it from a Matthew Stafford angle as well. Although, you know, Tage got the best of both worlds with, uh, you know, both Detroit and the Los Angeles Rams kind of winning that Matthew Stafford trade. And the Michigan Wolverines. Sure. And the Michigan <laughs> Wolverines, right? Although he's, yeah, he's... He's a little off that bandwagon, I would say, I guess. But it's it's been a good run for him, I would say, for sure. Um, to me, I, I think the spot that has been the most – I don't know if it's the most surprising to me whatsoever, but the thing that I think has most excited me uh, and really been kind of a cool transformation, I would say, is Lamar Jackson kind of returning to MVP form under Todd Monaghan, doing it in, in a lot of ways in a completely different way than where he was at in 2019 when he did win the MVP trophy as well. I think that whole Baltimore Ravens team kind of coming together was not something that I expected whatsoever. I think I was probably lower on them, you know, than the betting market consensus heading into the season. I think in a lot of ways, you know, the offensive and defensive coordinator acquisitions that they've had have broken really well from them. Mike McDonald as well, you know, kind of looks like that maybe like that 1B head coaching candidate type guy after his performance on the defensive side of the football. So I think overall, like, um, you know, obviously the, the, they're staring down, you know, being the number one seed in the AFC. And I think a lot of people would have been surprised at that. But I, I think overall, like, that's the performance that not only did I not see coming, uh, but I think it's very much been the most impressive. And I do think, you know, come playoff time, it, it would be really exciting to kind of see a, a, a long Lamar Jackson type playoff run where they do actually end up getting to the Super Bowl. Yeah, and as the holder of a preseason flyer on Lamar to win the MVP at 18-1, to 1, I'm fortunate that things have <laughs> taken a turn for the best down the home stretch here. So good thoughts on some performances that have moved you over the course of the season, as well as looking at NFL Week 18 from a sides perspective. Ben, if we also want to look at things from a teaser perspective this week, I think it might be important to lead off with an obligatory caveat that teasers are inherently a bet against variance. We want a game to stay within a certain number of points from the point spread at kickoff week 18 is fraught with variance. So that can make teasers a pretty dicey proposition, especially when a lot of teams have some starters sitting motivation again, can be anybody's guess. So how do you approach teasers on a card like week 18 compared to the rest of the season? Yeah, definitely. I, I would say, you know, just in general, like, the idea behind teasers, kind of like you said, is like you want to bet them at the most efficient time. Obviously, that would be, you know, in the lead up to kickoff. But in the, from that idea and context, like, you know, outside of the unknowns from week 18 in general, like teasers should be getting more effective as the season progresses in a lot of ways. And if there wasn't some of the resting consideration type things like week 18 would be the best spot for teasers. But it, it to me, um, you know, given the price that I can currently get, offered from a two-team teaser like it's just not been a spot that i've bought into too dramatically you know obviously shopping for um you know some lower total type outcomes to pair with that teasers there's not a ton i would say um you know on this particular betting card uh you know miami in some ways maybe looks like one of the better teaser legs but the 49 point total i think would definitely scare people off so it, it, i think it's kind of tough and light so i don't think i will really be uh, I, I would say locking in or having any teasers here coming up in week 18 for sure. 
Yeah, that's fair. A mantra of mine, as long as I've been doing the show, is that our biggest edge is betters, is the ability to pick and choose our spots. Books have to post yeah. lines for every game. And if we're going to lay the VIG, we better do so with a good reason. And no problem to quote the whale capper Drew Dinsick on this show earlier this year, calling it a teaser bye week if the options aren't enticing enough. So can't fault anybody for doing that in week 18. I think one thing you noted about the process I'd like to underscore is that waiting can be a good rule of thumb for teasers in general, especially with all the moving pieces this week. We want to get as much information as possible. So if somebody is considering a teaser, no harm done and letting betters hammer point spreads into place and letting market efficiency become our friend later in the week. To quote my good friend, Las Vegas, Chris, hurry up and wait. There's nothing wrong with betting teasers right before kickoff. And with that said, I understand the show's happening now. So in the interest of providing as much value as I can, I'll run through my usual process, identifying fits on the board that fit the advantage model of crossing through the key numbers of three and seven. Right now, you touch on one of them. Miami can be taken up to plus eight and a half hosting Buffalo on Sunday night in the regular season finale. And then the only other real option I'm seeing at this stage, the Jets up to plus seven and a half at the Patriots. So that leads me to a process of elimination where I see Miami, but I also see that point spread Buffalo minus two and a half shaded toward the three. I prefer a cleaner cross through the three if I'm going to be getting down on a teaser and it takes two to tango. So that means no two team six point teasers for me this week. I will say one thing worth noting. Some books do have Houston laying a point and a half at Indy right now. That's not consensus. So I won't make it official for the purposes of this podcast, but where you can find an option to tease Indianapolis up to plus seven and a half and pair them with the Jets up to plus seven and a half. I think that is one of few teasers on this week that will be very justifiable. And then thinking a bit outside the box, Ben, not the standard two team six point teaser, but I'm looking at a three team 10 pointer good up to minus 130, which a good number of books are offering, especially in the offshore market. The Jets plus 11 and a half at New England paired with Las Vegas plus seven and a half hosting Denver and the Bills plus seven and a half at Miami. And the context here, the Jets, I think one of my top takeaways this season relating to this leg is that I've really reconsidered the importance of totals and teasers. I don't think totals are as critical to the equation as many have made it out to be, including previous versions of myself. It is still a small factor worth accounting for. And I think the factor gets magnified at the extremes. And when we're talking a total of 30 and a half, that's about as extreme as it gets. So I think this total does magnify the relative value of each point you get in teasing the Jets up through the seven and a two team six point teaser, or in this case, up through three, seven, 10 and 11 in this 10 point teaser and pairing the Jets with the Raiders and the Bills. These other two legs are both shaded toward three-point favorites. I mean, the Raiders are a heavily juiced two and a half, and this teaser neutralizes the VIG. It's like getting closer to 10 and a half points for that same price of 10 points. I wouldn't be surprised if both of these teams won outright, and if that's not the case, we still have a seven-point cushion should they not prevail. So again, this is a three-team 10-pointer, good up to minus 130, Jets plus 11 and a half, at the Patriots, Raiders plus seven and a half hosting the Broncos and Bills plus seven and a half at the Dolphins. Ben, any thoughts on that approach? Trying to get a bit outside the box, but grasping at straws for some teaser value on this pretty wonky week 18 card. Yeah, I think I, I think it's really interesting. I know even when we, you know, kind of had talked last year and stuff, um, you, you know, some of like the base rate expectation things that I had done. Uh, you know, probably even like two seasons ago at this point from a teaser perspective, I do think it would be really interesting to kind of revisit that 
um, you know, from a 10, from a 10 point approach, kind of like you said, that isn't something that I have, I, I would say looked into a whole lot or, 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 or ever really done. So I think I'd be really interested in seeing at least like some of the key initial spreads that are, are, are most likely to be really beneficial um, in, in using that wider, you know, spread teaser base uh, as opposed to just like the six, the six point teaser. So uh, I think overall it, it sounds good. And I do think kind of like you said, like lower scoring environment, just in general, it does seem like with more backup quarterback play and everything else, um, you know, teams in some ways not having a ton of play for it. Like I do think that in general would trend towards lower scoring games. And I do think from that angle, you know, you know, teasers are probably going to be a much better option in week 18. And in a lot of ways could be a spot to reduce some variance for sure. All right. Well, fingers crossed on that three teamer, but on your end, if it's going to be understandably a bye week for teasers, we'll see what we can uncover in the prop market. And as we transition into another bet type, I think we've got another obligatory caveat to address off the top here. This is the last chance to trigger performance incentives for a lot of players. And there's been a lot of talk about that. It's become quite polarizing early in the week 18 betting cycle. One example, DeAndre Hopkins is on the verge of triggering some incentives for yards and receptions. So Ben, on a broad level, what's your point of view on props for players who are close to incentives when we're looking at the week 18 prop betting market? Yeah, so I think for me, you know, personally, and kind of going back to this like philosophical discussion, like this was a really, in some ways, like decently profitable approach in few a few seasons ago i would say i think like 2019 2020 in a lot of ways were kind of like some of the first rumblings of people kind of using this idea more of like a twitter-based fashion or would at least start tweeting about it and that was kind of when you know i would say some of these things maybe weren't necessarily baked into the market uh as aggressively as they are now or weren't overbaked into the market to me now any sort of like relatively obvious one is already going to have I would say a pretty drastic, um, you know, skewed outlook based on where that guy should finish because of the incentive, as opposed to where he would just be priced at without that really understanding or base. So to me, uh, it's just not really an angle that I, I think is all that prevalent any longer. So in some ways, I just haven't gravitated towards, and it does seem like books I would say have definitely over adjusted to that emphasis, knowing that people are kind of focusing on it. Uh, I, I just think there's probably like you know, in some ways, better spots elsewhere now, because that is very much seems like an edge that has, if it hasn't already dried up, you know, in prior seasons, uh, it very much is already priced out of the expectation, I would say early on in the week. Yeah, and not to make this too much of an echo chamber where we're just agreeing with each other on everything. I did try to push back a bit on that Tampa Bay look, having gotten down on the Panthers earlier in this week's betting cycle. With regard to what you just said about these week 18 player props. I'm in alignment with you here. A lot of noteworthy player incentives, by the way, don't even have props priced yet at or near these target numbers that would relate to the contract incentives where they are posted. I think we can pretty safely assume that the incentives are priced in, if not overly priced in, and something that we can lose sight of. A lot of teams are still prioritizing winning over individual stats so in rare cases this could of course come into play but at this stage the cat's largely out of the bag it's largely priced in so with that in mind ben player contract incentives or not anywhere you're looking on the week 18 board for props that show value in your eyes yeah the, it, it is and i and i do you know i don't want to harp on it too much but i do definitely agree with you in the sense that like 
all the things that it would be even be close to, you know, have already been overbaked in. Maybe there's like a long shot ticket or two that you could maybe come up with uh, that that has some sort of potential. But there's just not a lot of, I would say, like strong, um, you know, I would say strong, you know, contract incentive type plays at this point in time. So it's very much a spot that I'm not getting into. Um, I, I think for me, you know, you know, I, I think it's interesting, um, you know, in some ways, obviously looking at like the Saturday game. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, this Pittsburgh Steelers and Baltimore Ravens matchup in some ways, obviously, you know, Baltimore, it, for all intents and purposes, is going to be resting everybody. Pittsburgh has, you know, incentive to play, can get into the NFL, uh, you know, AFC playoffs based on winning and needing a few things to break correctly for them. But being the first game, like it, it's not really going to be all that impacted by them. I think, you know, a, a guy like Mason Rudolph, there is maybe some risk of him potentially getting pulled earlier than expected. And I do think you kind of see that play out in like his passing yardage numbers, but a spot where I think is, you know, undervalued from that angles perspective is kind of him going under 0.5 interceptions. Obviously if he doesn't get a ton of opportunities to drop back, you know, it, it's more than likely than not that he isn't going to throw an interception at like a plus 115 plus 120 price to not throw an interception. Like I, I just think his over interception has gotten too out of whack with where he's at. If the Ravens kind of rest some starters and, and the Steelers do maybe jump out to that early lead, I think there's just a ton of scenarios where Mason Rudolph doesn't actually end up throwing an interception. And, and I do like him to potentially go under that number. Uh, I also don't, you know, I, I don't think it's too outlandish to say um, that he could have at least a relatively decent game from a passing yards perspective. I do think instead of going over on his number, kind of just talking about, you, you know, where the, the Steelers are maybe going to be at from the quarterback position in general and what they could potentially do mid-game. Uh, I do think a guy like Deontay Johnson to go over 39 and a half receiving yards is more the spot that I would play if you do think the Steelers are going to be, you know, at least a little bit more successful moving the football uh, against a Ravens defense that we're just not quite sure who's all going to be in the fold or not. So I, I like some of those early looks, and I do think, you know, from a Week 18 betting perspective, kind of having that understanding, especially with teams that we know are going to be, you know, playing for something and know, we know that the other team isn't like finding some angles, but more so in the, in the prop market, I think is kind of the best approach to kind of take advantage of some of those matchups. And part of me is relieved that you looked at Rudolph under half an interception again, as good as plus 120 is available and plus 115 is widely available. So we can call it good at that number as well. But when I look at his passing yards, Part of me thinks, okay, I know the Ravens have said they're arresting Lamar, but the Ravens are a deep team. And we see in the preseason, right. even when the stakes are pretty low, they tend to show up and make a pretty honest effort out of each game. And that will lead me to believe that maybe they could hold Rudolph in check. And I see his passing yardage lines between 191 and a half and 195 and a half. And if I want to look to the under, then I think, geez, passing yardage props for whatever reason, maybe it's just me, small sample size, but I was talking to another pro better, Joey Isaacs on the show a few weeks ago, and he said passing yardage props give him a lot of pause. He tries to find other angles because there can be so much volatility. So I feel like every passing yardage prop under I've played this season that's gotten closing line value, again, props aren't as liquid as full game sides. CLV doesn't mean nearly as much. You'd rather have it than not, but it hasn't mattered in terms of the results. I feel like every quarterback I've bet to come in under passing yardage, his found a way to soar over 
I mean, Jake Browning in that game against the Vikings was sitting, I think, in the double digits well into the second half. And he he got up pretty close to 300 yards by the time that late rally by the Bengals was all said and done. So I I guess two things for you here, Ben. One, any thoughts about passing yardage prop unders in general and the volatility? Does that steer you specifically toward the Rudolph interceptions look? Or is there anything about this matchup where you would say, yes, you like interceptions the best, but you would still have interest in passing yards under if we're looking at a number for Rudolph passing yards in the low to mid 190s? Yeah, I, I do think you are, you, you know, in some ways on to something basically as far as like trying to better understand some of the distributed outcomes for game script and how those drive things like passing yards and receiving yards. But then there's also like the explosive play rate um you know of particular offenses and how quickly they can kind of accumulate some of those you know passing and rushing receiving yards types things and i do think you know that is maybe something i wanted to touch on earlier but that was very much kind of a a, 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 i thought like a really undervalued in-game betting approach i know like FanDuel and DraftKings and those sorts of places do kind of offer some of these in-game prop market opportunities and if you even have an idea of you know, usage early on in the game, um, you know, from, from like when I was at PFF, like we, we had, you know, access to some of the charting data and could get like snaps and those sorts of things. And that's very much something that, you know, guys like Nathan Yankee and those sorts of things like tweet out in certain aspects, like those can be really profitable angles from both sides of the equation, right? If you have a guy that isn't playing a ton, obviously betting his unders, but if you have a quarterback as well, who maybe hasn't necessarily hit on some of those deep shots but has at least been looking downfield and it does seem like the game script in general is kind of leaning in that direction you know a la jake browning you know obviously needed to have some sort of comeback in that minnesota vikings game like there are those sorts of opportunities if you at least have a little bit more of a wait and see approach and i think that's been you know my main prerogative is like trying to understand more of the in-game market and kind of how that could potentially move based on game script and everything else. And it does seem like some of those markets just aren't going to ever be as efficient as what they could be pre-game. So in some ways, waiting for the first couple of snaps or first couple of drives and and seeing the performance of Mason Rudolph and maybe also seeing the performance of the Ravens defense is in some ways probably the best and correct and least risky opportunity to make some money, I would say, betting on player props this weekend. All right. I hear you there. Thank you for the insight. I also want to note, Tom, you had a question in the YouTube chat regarding the Cowboys and Giants and some correlation there. We will get to that soon. So thank you for the question, not ignoring it. But for now, sticking with props, and I guess veering away from my trepidation when it comes to specific player props such as passing yardage unders, Ben, I'm going to look at a game prop this week and go with the Jets and Patriots' first turnover of the game to be a fumble at plus 150. And you (laughs) talked a little bit about live prop markets, how sometimes books are just going off of a chart, not accounting for the nuance of a specific environment. In this case, I think we're looking at a standard line for a first turnover to be a fumble but this is not your standard setting. When we look at the weather, sustained winds, possibly sustained snow as well. Freezing temperatures, a strong possibility. I think that could put a damper on these passing games. And then when we look at the quarterbacks involved, I know Trevor Simeon and Bailey Zappi are not strangers to interceptions, but I think that these two options are a heck of a lot better than an alternative universe where we get Zach Wilson and Mac Jones in this matchup. When it comes to availability for this prop, I am seeing it at an established offshore, and I expect it to become more widely available as kickoff approaches. I consider it good to plus 130. Ben, given the weather, the quarterback matchup, 
any thoughts on first turnover in the Jets Patriots game to be a fumble for a nice plus number plus 150 available now and good to plus 130. Yeah, that is it is interesting. I feel like I haven't really probably understood like the base rate for where that should be you, you know it from you know a fumble in comparison to, like an interception or something like that just league wide this year uh, and in some ways like those two particular teams but my but not necessarily my inclination but i think it's interesting and maybe from like a greater you know sports betting discussion is like i i do think there's probably two sides to the weather related approach right because obviously it should in some ways lead to more rushing attempts which would lead to more fumble opportunities but in some ways even with the decrease of passing attempts like it's possible given the weather considerations and everything else that some of those passing attempts although we don't have the volume we we maybe are going to have a lot more really poor ones that could potentially lead to an interception so i think that that is you know not necessarily one that i probably fully understand that well, but could maybe see both sides of it to the point where I wouldn't be overly confident kind of playing, uh, you, you know, fumble as aggressively. But I, I am kind of with you in the sense that, like, it, it does seem like these two teams are going to, you know, uh, run the football and play defense and kind of wait for the first team, the other team to kind of make that first mistake. And if that's kind of the angle, uh, I do think a, a plus price fumble prop does at least make some sense but probably wouldn't be something that i would be you know overly anxious or playing from a really aggressive standpoint all right very fair pushback there and i'll throw out an unofficial bonus prop here as well ben i think you'll agree with this one everybody's probably going to understand that it's much more likely than not to occur let's look at the rams and 49ers not to go to overtime minus 2000 i know this is a very steep price but similar to the previous prop (laughs) It's a standard line for no overtime and a matchup that is anything but standard for the regular season in the NFL. Both teams are going to be resting their starters. The Niners are locked into the one seed. I think we're going to see much more of a preseason mindset. And if this game is close late, I'd expect both coaches to try to avoid overtime at all costs. So I think it's worth flagging once again. This is a lot of big that demands bankroll management, but I can't fault a small flyer, perhaps for a little beer money. I would even consider this good up to minus 3,000. That's not available everywhere, but I am seeing a 20 to 1 at a pretty prominent offshore. And at 30 to 1 or better, I think it's worth, again, a small flyer for those who can shop around. Any thoughts on that angle? Yeah, I actually do really like that angle because I I am definitely with you. Like, I think, you know, especially in the preseason, the prerogative is to, like, get out, get, get out from the game as quickly as possible. Like, no one's playing for overtime. We do see this price quite a bit from a Super Bowl's perspective and, and a lot of these other regular season games and stuff like that. So I think, like, the one thing for both these coaches is basically to get out of this game as quickly as possible, which means no overtime. And I think both of them would probably be – I'm willing to do just about anything to not have to play for playing overtime. So I, I'm definitely with you on that. I do think, you know, obviously, you know, laying a heavy juice bet isn't for everybody probably should be, especially in some of these situations. Uh, but that is very much something that I could definitely get behind for sure. All right. So we'll take that one and run with it. And then I'll see if there's one more bonus that I'll throw out there. See if you can get behind this one as well. It's a rare parlay for me, and I'll throw a question from Tom onto the screen. He asked a few minutes ago about anything on an alt spread first half for the Cowboys in the Giants' fourth quarter money line. I was tweeting about that earlier today, looking to find the sweet spot of maximizing the correlation while not paying a ton of juice. And 
to that end, I would say that my first look wasn't even the alt line in the first half. It was Dallas minus seven with some extra VIG or some books minus seven and a half with reduced VIG paired with the Giants fourth quarter money line, which is in the range of plus 125. With those two legs parlayed, we're looking at a payout in the range of plus 330, if not a bit better. And the angle here, if the Cowboys are up big at halftime, then the Eagles likely lose hope for the NFC East title. They could call off the dogs at the Giants to maximize their health for a road playoff game next weekend. I think with this angle, we've got some wiggle room on the payout here. I consider it good up to you know anything better than plus 300, let's say. And hat tip to plus EV analytics on Twitter. He's the one who specifically flagged Dallas alt lines in the first half to really magnify that factor of Dallas being up big at the half and encouraging the Eagles to call off the dogs. So on my end, I was able to find it in offshore Dallas first half minus 10 and a half paired with the giants fourth quarter money line that bumped the payout up to plus four seventy five, And it looked like Tom has done me one better at nice. Caesars personal eyeing Cowboys minus 16 and a half in the first half and giants fourth quarter money line payout well North of 10 to one plus 1060. Obviously, with a payout this big, yeah, it's unlikely the Cowboys are going to be up by three scores at the half, but it's squarely on the table. And if it does happen, there is that nice correlation with what the Eagles could decide to do in their game at the Giants. So, Ben, any thoughts on this look at perhaps a correlated parlay on the Week 18 slate? Yeah, I think that the unorthodox correlated parlays are obviously some of my favorite uh, betting opportunities in general. I actually did not, I had not thought about um i had not thought about this one whatsoever i actually haven't but probably is you know going through but i think in prior seasons especially this has been a spot that has been at least some of the most entertaining sweats that i've ever had is kind of finding or piecing together some of these correlated outcomes in week 18 that you know no one out no one's obviously going to price into any sort of correlation based uh you know adjustment to the, the the number or anything like that so i love it to be honest with you and i do think like more and more like these are the sorts of angles that people kind of need to take advantage of and be willing to actually not only risk a little bit on, uh, but but kind of see and spot for others and kind of press some of those edges. And I do think long-term, like those are some of the most sustainable and probably best betting strategies that you can have, I would say, to maximize your dollar. Yeah, I, I love the edge here. And maybe because of the edge or some of the uncertainty at a lot of sports books, I'll also acknowledge this is not available everywhere. We can't find a really good alt line for the first half at every book or a fourth quarter money line price for the Giants at every book. So with that in mind, I'll say that I am seeing Dallas first half minus seven and the Giants fourth quarter money line at both a leading U.S. regulated book and an established offshore. However, if somebody doesn't have access to that at this stage, perfectly okay not to have every book under the sun as much as we like to preach line shopping. I think there's an in-game plan that I will recommend and a hat tip here to Steve Fesick at Co. on the Dream Preview podcast. I think if Dallas is up by three scores at any point in the second quarter, so a lead of 17 plus, that's a good time in the moment to bet the Giants plus the points in their game against the Eagles because the Cowboys, again, if the Eagles are doing some scoreboard watching and see Dallas pulling away, that tells them what they probably want to do to optimize their chances next weekend on the road. And if Dallas is up, not by three scores in the second quarter, but let's say by double digits, so 10 plus at the half, that's a good time to also bet the Giants' second half point spread. I think in that case, you'd probably have to act fast because people will catch on to what's up in the Dallas game once we see the second half line materialize for Eagles-Giants and people sense that the Eagles could have a lack of motivation there. 
So something to look for in game if Dallas should amass a three score lead in the second quarter or perhaps a double digit lead by the half. One more subtle edge here that I'll throw out. I think there's a slightly greater chance than usual that the Eagles elect to receive if they win the toss. They typically defer as does pretty much every team in the NFL these days. But Nick Sirianni could be eager to get his offensive starters some reps early in the game in anticipation of that possibility of pulling them later on. So, Ben, if people don't have access to the pregame correlated parlay that we discussed, any thoughts on that in-game look? Yeah, I, I, I do think it is, you know, a, a worthwhile approach. Obviously, you're waiting for some, like, you know, setup to happen, basically. Um, but I do think it could definitely be you know, something that actually develops quite a bit. And I do think, you know, kind of just like keep it in the back of your mind, um, you know, understanding or at least having a plan of action if things kind of break in your direction it is very much, I would say, not only, you know, a, a good thing to do, but probably a needed thing to do from an in-game betting perspective. And I would say very much like the approach that people need to have if you do want to be successful is understanding, you know, from pregame, what 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 directions could this game go and how would you actually approach or attack those things? And I very much think that that is, you know, probably the optimal way of actually identifying some opportunities in game for this week 18 game. And as a way of transition to a shameless plug of mine that I issue at this point of the show each week, another optimal way that people may want to approach things would be to consider that I am partnering with Right Angle Sports in an affiliate capacity this season. And they're offering something for everybody from NFL picks to college basketball picks where they've got an unparalleled track record of success. So if anybody's interested in trying them out, no obligation whatsoever, but you can support props and hops by supporting right angle sports. I built a custom link you can use to do so tinyurl.com slash RAS picks. Now, Ben, we've talked about a lot of picks so far on the show. So I'll take a moment to give a rapid fire rundown of our props and hops NFL week 18 portfolio sides ben looking at a first half angle tampa bay minus three at minus 120 consider that good up to minus 125 and i'm on chicago plus three at green bay for teasers very understandably it's a bye week for ben in my case i think there's just enough of value to get in play on a three team 10 point teaser good up to minus 130 jets plus 11 and a half at the patriots raiders plus seven and a half hosting denver and the bills plus seven and a half at the dolphins Looking at props, Ben on Mason Rudolph under half an interception at plus 120. Consider that good to plus 115. And I'm on the Jets-Patriots game's first turnover to be a fumble at a nice plus payout of plus 150. Last but not least, a bonus correlated parlay, if you will. Dallas first half against the spread paired with the Giants fourth quarter money line for a payout of plus 330. Consider that good at anything better than a three to one payout. And if you don't have access to this yet, or if you'd rather wait and see how things are shaking out in real time, no problem there as a way of an in-game plan. If Dallas goes up by 17 or more in the second quarter, bet the Giants in-game line against the spread at the Eagles at that point. Or if the Dallas Cowboys are up by 10 at halftime, 10 or more, be quick on the trigger, but you can use that as an opportunity to also bet the Giants second half point spread against the Eagles. All right, Ben, I'm going to come up for Arnell. That's a lot of picks I've been running through, but now we can dive into the process. And I'd love to hear from you on your new role as an NFL data scientist over at Zoomer Sports. First off, congrats on the role and would love to hear about how it's going so far for you. Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely appreciate it. Yeah, it's been, um, you know, it's been great to be honest with you. It's like, uh, I would say a dream come true. Um, you know, obviously getting to work, um, you know, in football on, on some really cool problems is like, 
you know, all, all I've ever really wanted to do in this life and being able to do it with some people that I think are, you know, very much considered like my closest friends, um, you know, getting to work with them, talk football on a daily basis. Like it's been, um, it, it's been really good. So for me, um, you know, the transition from PFF, I was very much, I would say kind of focused on, you know, the betting models, the fantasy stuff, the fantasy suite, you know, wide receiver cornerback matchup charts, like all of these things that, um, you know, were produced on a weekly basis and then kind of doing the content. And I think, you know, at Sumer, especially, you know, starting off, like I've been able to, in some ways, take a step back from the content side of things, but really focus on, um, you know, model and model delivery for some of our you know, more B2B type products we're going to do, um, you know, once again, last year, um, you know, we had like a draft suite for, um, you know, NFL teams and those sorts of things. We are, you know, obviously consistently and constantly improving that. I've been, you know, pretty integral in some of that um, modeling output, getting some things into production and kind of using in a lot of ways, um, you know, the, the, the NFL draft betting market to better understand what's going to happen in the upcoming draft. And to me, it's kind of been in a lot of ways, um, like, a uh, like a, a, a switch back to what I kind of first loved about football and stuff in general. And that was really honestly like the NFL draft. So I know, you know, people have kind of like been waiting for the season to wind down, um, you know, on the 2023 season. But like, to me, it's like, I've been in draft mode, I think since like, uh, kind of October, November at this point in time, and the very much of like looking forward to, you know, the April, May timeframe where we can kind of see how a lot of this stuff is going to play out. But it very much has me kind of a lot more in, from like an evaluation standpoint, really involved with like college football and the prospect analysis and those sorts of things way more than I've ever been before. Uh, and it's really been like, I would say an enjoyable experience to kind of work on uh, a lot of these like problems that, there hasn't, I would say, been a ton of solutions for before. So it's been really exciting, uh, really good, and I would say just a really enjoyable uh, transition for me overall, for sure. And thinking of the time you've spent in draft mode already, we're about three or four months early when it comes to a marketplace being available. But draft betting season, one of the best and perhaps soon-to-be yeah. fleeting opportunities on the sports betting calendar. Ben, with what you've uncovered for the draft process so far or anything else in your NFL work over at Zoomer, how has this perhaps informed your betting approach, if at all, in the grand scheme of things? Yeah, I think a few things, obviously. But yeah, I think for specifically for draft, like, you know, in so many ways, it is an information-based market. But, you know, the longevity of it, like, we are going to get... You know, we are going to get people moving around and even the number one overall draft pick. And we've seen it every single year. So if you're looking at, you know, the odds on FanDuel or DraftKings right now, which we do have number one pick odds, like Caleb Williams is a heavy favorite. And in a lot of ways, he's being priced as a heavy favorite because of where he was at in the preseason. And some of the only things that we really have to kind of build some of these models right now or some of these markets right now are, I would say, you know, prior mock drafts from before the season even happened and then some like you know regurgitated things around that have kind of just been consensus since the the college football season kicked off and to me that really hasn't been what actually has happened on the football field so i do think just in general like drake may in particular is probably going to close the gap from the number one pick perspective i would say sooner rather than later um, and, and I do think there's probably going to be a lot tighter of a battle, at least at some point we should see that market kind of tighten up, similar to how we did last year with Bryce Young, 
um, you know, before he kind of moved to the lead over CJ Stroud and then potentially, you know, continue to push out. I, I do think that that is kind of a closer race and just like hitting on some of these early numbers uh, is really going to be a profitable edge, I would say for sure. All right. So right now I'm seeing Drake May plus 470 to go one overall at FanDuel. Would you yeah. say that for people with access to that book or other books with similar numbers that it might be go time sooner rather than later. Yeah, I do. I do very much like that spot. I do think like there is some, some consideration from Arvin Harrison as well. Like kind of going back to the Chicago bears discussion um, and what they're going to do with the number one overall traffic. I don't 51. think it's, yeah, I don't think it's like completely sold that they go quarterback at number one overall. And in some ways, you know, that, that, that might be part of the reason why you like the handicap for the bears you know, this week against the Packers as well, because if Justin Fields falls out, like that's going to be a, a continued discussion here. And very much, you know, this is a spot where Marvin Harrison is the clearly, I would say, you know, outside of some offensive tackles, obviously that are pretty good. Like Marvin Harrison is going to be, you know, the best non-quarterback and it's by a pretty wide margin. I do think he's going to be the best wide receiver prospect we've had since, you know, Kelvin Johnson, if not before, basically. So there's quite a bit of, uh, room for him to potentially go number one overall as well. All right. So a lot to anticipate in a forward-looking sense with NFL draft season coming up and your role at Sumer more broadly. Ben, I'd also love it if we could spend a little bit of time looking in the rearview mirror here because on a recent interview you gave with Ed Fang, great listen on the Football Analytics Show, you peeled back the curtain a bit on your departure from Pro Football Focus before this season and I think part of what stood out to me was it seemed like there might have been internally a, a bit of a clash when it came to how much trust to put in data and some of the challenges that you and others may have faced when it came to overcoming the eye test or preconceived notions. And an example of this that you shared was that some data you had was early to identify the NFL's lower scoring environment. And that was due partly to a subtle increase in sack rate. Tage Seth, also a recent guest on Ed's podcast, noted that that was exacerbated this year by a lower average depth of target that we've seen across the league. So I'm wondering, in that same vein, are there any other recent examples you've come across that you've seen trusting data really prevail over what a lot of people might have thought initially when it comes to those preconceived notions or that initial eye test? Yeah, I think it it is a really good, um, it, it is, I would say, a really good question. I think in some ways this, you know, not necessarily like the same, you know, sort of vein of things, but I think in some ways, and this is maybe even just kind of a discussion to what we just previously had, but Caleb Williams and the way in which he was successful in 2022 was very much indicative of this like out of structure play, under pressure type play that when you go and you look at the data, like that's just not something that's sustainable or, or really, you know, a, a really indicative of success in future seasons if you are actually good in that area. Like, it, it's a spot that can easily regress in so many areas. And, and in some ways, if you would have kind of looked at the areas in which he was successful in 2022, we could have in some ways maybe seen, you know, the, not necessarily the downfall from him, but maybe a lackluster final season at the college football level before really you know, before I would say a lot of other people even did. So I think that's one example, but it is, it is honestly really hard 
um, to, to kind of do that and not only like do that, but see it before it's actually happening and, and then trust in it as well. Like, I think that's very much something that, you know, people are, are and going to continue to struggle with in kind of this like new age of artificial intelligence and data scientists and how much we really need to kind of, you know, trust some of these models and all the output that it's actually providing the signal versus the noise and all that stuff. So it is a really difficult job. Uh, thankfully, it's maybe one of the reasons why I do have a job, but uh, I think just kind of trying to improve on it every day is something that you can do. And when you talk about going out on a limb, in a sense, when calling out a lower scoring environment or looking to be early on Caleb Williams, as much as it pains me as a USC grad to say that, all right, maybe he's being overvalued in the betting market right now to go number one overall. Sometimes these might be contrarian takes, and it's great to be right in the long run, but it's not a lock to be proven right every time. So I'm wondering if we can look at the flip side of this equation. And I know that when you spoke with Ed on his podcast, you were specifically bullish on the Eagles entering their matchup with the 49ers. Of course, the Eagles got blown out and have since gone into a tailspin. And I don't mention this with any intention of calling out a bad take. You were far from alone and having been high on the Eagles. But instead, the intent here is to learn so that we can all improve moving forward. So, Ben, are there any examples that you've come across knowing that no system is bulletproof, where maybe the eye test or some of those preconceived notions have had a lot of common sense to them and actually overcome a short sample size of data where you maybe thought you saw signal, but that was wrong? Yeah, I think, you know, it, you are very correct in the fact that, you know, the Philadelphia Eagles, you, you know, were we're probably not the correct side looking back on it, but I do think, you know, the, the opponent and a team that I've actually been lower on than probably, you know, a, a lot of other people and have been absolutely wrong on this season has been the San Francisco 49ers. In some ways, my handicap of the Eagles doing well was because I just didn't believe in what the 49ers put forth. And a lot of that was based on not only the prior data that we had for Brock Purdy, but also some of his, you know, the, the yards after the catch ability, the yards after the catch and the benefits that he has and throwing the receivers with so much separation, like those sorts of things I thought at some point would regress where he would have some struggles and he would have some more turnover where he plays where he was kind of at in college. And I would say that that's a spot where the, the, the data definitely hasn't moved in that direction. But if you were, you know, just watching the games and not really focused on the data and the output from it, you would see Brock Purdy throwing to wide open receivers and you would see an offensive scheme that, you know, for all intents and purposes is one of, if not the best offensive schemes in football at, at getting guys open and making some of these throws relatively easy on the quarterback. And although that's, you know, happening, that's not necessarily an indictment on Brock Purdy whatsoever. So I do think very much like me taking a step back from the data and just really seeing good football played out on the field is something that I probably should have done a lot more with the San Francisco 49ers. But I also think in some ways, like that's maybe been one of my big, you know, philosophical, not necessarily philosophical shifts, but like aha moments to the point where like all the things that we see um, you know, from a data perspective should be influenced from what we're seeing on the football field. So we should really be in some ways learning about techniques and things that we want to look at through data from watching the football games. And I think that that's something that, you know, the other side of it or the other, the, 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 the people on the other side of the fence who just want to, you know, watch film and those sorts of things maybe don't understand is that, you know, like the, the data scientists and the people that look at data are still watching the game 
we're trying to watch the game in order to really understand the data better as well and how we can potentially look at things from a data perspective that's going to match what we're seeing on the football field. So I do think marrying those two things together has been, uh, I would say, the point that I really want to improve upon and also get better at. And I do think overall, like, all analysts should probably like be moving in that direction where you kind of have these two things that can very much benefit each other and, and the best that both of those things are really going to be the best analysts, I would say, long-term at the game of football. I appreciate that you brought up Brock Purdy because that might be, to bring things full circle, that might be an answer that I could have given to Tasia's earlier question about a performance right. that has really opened my eyes over the course of this season. I think last year it seemed like he was definitely exceeding expectations, but it also seemed like he was getting away with highway robbery. Every time a ball went right to a defender, it seemed like it was dropped. And I was just waiting for opponents to pounce on that this year. And there was the losing streak in the middle of the season and the debacle on Christmas night against the Ravens. But all in all, Purdy has really been good. It's a good system and he has played well. I don't think it has to be this false dichotomy of, is Purdy the MVP or is Shanahan the mastermind scheming the best offense in the NFL? I think we can say, hey, Purdy's a really good quarterback. Shanahan's a great coach. One plus right. one equals three in this case, perhaps. So I was so ready to just knock Purdy down. And I think I also need to just accept that, you know what? He might not do the things that some other dynamic athletes can do, but in the system he's in, he's operating at a very high level. And yes, the system helps him, but he also helps the system. Right. And, and I think that's the key too, right? And I also think it's like, well, Jimmy Garoppolo could do this in this system. So really Brock Purdy is not doing all that much more, but it is very much like within the confines of what he's doing, he is playing really good football and that leads to really good offensive output and, and constantly fading that because it's maybe not necessarily what you think good offense should look like or how they're actually doing it from a data perspective as well. And some of these things that maybe look weaker in other systems uh, 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 it could just be that Kyle Shanahan's kind of this like outlier of the 49ers offense in general is kind of this outlier. And that's maybe like the one takeaway that you need to have from looking at the data as well as like, we're trying to kind of find this mean expectation from a league wide perspective to really fit in a lot of our narratives because we don't have a ton of data if we're just looking at one individual case. And, and I think that does lead to some outlier type edge cases that are really hard to quantify with the data, but also really hard to understand if you're only looking at the data as well. Well, Ben, the level of insight you're sharing, I know anybody who's still with us well over an hour in must really be enjoying it. And from a content perspective, I know you mentioned with Sumer, you're doing a lot more behind the scenes on the B2B side, but one more question related to your conversation with Ed Bang on the Football Analytics Show recently. You teased the possibility of launching a podcast soon, and I'm wondering if that's still in the works by any chance. Yeah, I think I think it is. So I don't want to get I don't want to get too far ahead of the the bag. But I uh, I know you know Eric 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 Eager, my boss, um, you know, currently does a a podcast with former NFL GM Thomas Dimitrov. They are still going to kind of in some ways do that. But I do think in addition to that, um, you know, building up more of the resources, Eric and I will probably have some sort of weekly or, or, or you know, twice a week type podcast uh, where we talk about not only like, you know, NFL and betting and those sorts of things, but maybe a little bit more of like uh, deep dives into like the analytics side of things, but also just maybe like the greater data science 
um, you know, things at large, basically. So I think that, you know, that's very much in the work. It's probably something we're going to be kicking off this offseason uh, and really hit the ground running kind of come NFL draft time. So it's something I'm really excited for, uh, being able to talk ball, being able to share a little bit more, uh, you know, my own personality and personal life with uh, all the people. So I definitely appreciate you know all the people, uh, you know, checking that out at sumersports.com. All right. Plenty to look forward to even during the offseason when it comes to the content that Ben and the team at Zoomer will be cranking out. And I think even though we are a good bit more than an hour into this conversation, we are looking at just a couple more pillars of the show that we can weave in and look forward to as well. Ben, want to get to the Malinsky Minute, a staple on this show is a tribute to the late, great David Malinsky. Recently, his 63rd birthday came and went last week. And Dave had the best habits of anyone I think I've ever known when it came to waking up early, exercising, eating well, reading, of course, the way he bet on sports and could speak to sports at any level. With this being the show's first episode of the new year, I'm wondering if kind of tying that into this theme, if there are any habits that you're looking to prioritize for 2024. Yeah, I, I have a couple. So I I do have a couple or I do have a few young kids that keep me relatively active, but I have very much fallen out of like the 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 consistent exercise in the morning sort of thing. So I am very much getting in the habit of um, you know, trying to row basically most mornings, or I've also picked up um, a hobby of cross country skiing being from Minnesota in the winter. I was actually told, you know, being a former hockey player that I would probably really enjoy the sport and it's something that I've done. Um, you know, pretty consistently, even with the lack of snow in, in Minnesota so far this year, and is very much something that uh, I'm going to continue to kind of pick up. So mainly just like the exercise thing, you know, four days a week is something that I'm striving for, have tried and failed at that before, but I very much think 2024 is, you know, new year, new me sort of set up. Uh, and it's something that I want to build on. And, you know, outside of that, just like some of the more obvious ones, like being present, putting the phone down, not necessarily needing to like, you know, check, check all of the social media and everything else, basically, um, you know, for a, a set defined number of hours, basically every night is something that I've strived to do and, and have made probably already struggled uh, in trying to establish that as a habit as well. I like that, especially with the exercise habit you talked about four days a week, quantifying it in some way just gives yourself an out. It doesn't mean you have to do it every day or if any day you intend to and it doesn't happen. It doesn't mean you're back at square one. It's giving yourself some wiggle room, but still quantifying something that's a worthwhile pursuit. So I appreciate that. And I will also say that your second point really resonated on my end. I think one of the biggest habits I'm trying to instill this year is just baking in more time to kill over the course of my day-to-day, week-to-week routine. I'll say that I consider myself disciplined and highly driven by achievement, but I'm also trying to continuously teach myself that discipline can also mean knowing when it's not time to do something. And as far as achievement goes, relaxation is a skill and building that can be an achievement in its own right. So on a recent episode of the Next Big Idea podcast, not sports betting related, but I think it's a good listen across pretty much all walks of life. There was an interview with the author Morgan Housel, and he quoted Nassim Taleb saying, my only measure of success is how much time you have to kill. And I think about my day to day, that could include things like reading, walking, watching TV with my wife. It doesn't have to be just sitting in a room, like literally killing time, sometimes Killing time can be the best possible use of time. And as a way to make it measurable, I'm targeting 30 minutes a day, five days a week. So 
off to a good start there, but it's early in the year. So I'll, I'll put it out there for plenty of accountability for anybody who's looking to do the same or, or wants to check in over the course of the year. And Ben, on that note, I guess if you're trying to dial it back and not be glued to social media, what are some other things that you look to turn to when you feel like it's time to dial it back a bit to prevent burnout? Yeah, that it, it is a really good question. I do have um, my oldest son. I, hopefully I don't look this old, but I do have an eight-year-old son who um, you know, is, is in a lot of ways, probably like you, Matt, you know, like super driven, uh, really into sports. So in a lot of ways, like we kind of just get after it from like a playing sports perspective. And that's kind of been the spot that I've, you know, kind of killed two birds with one stone, obviously being really present. Um, and in, in the moment getting some exercise, we've picked up hobbies, like, you know, just playing pickleball, um, you know, when we have some downtime and order those sorts of things where we just go out in the front yard and basically throw the football around for 45 minutes. Like those are the things that, uh, I, I think are kind of where I'm at in my life. I unfortunately, um, you know, don't have a ton of time to myself to set aside to like read and, and do all these other things right now. I would love to get to that point, but when I'm reading, it's more like, a I've read all day sort of thing. I don't really have, I'm not really like a 30 minutes a day type reader. So uh, just finding some of those other times to kind of like, um, you know, get some quality time. in. I would say with other people is very much kind of uh, what I've tried to focus on, or even just like picking up the phone and talking to people. Cause that's very much been something that uh, I've probably struggled with, with maintaining some of those friendships that I very much want to last. So I think a lot of it is really good feedback. And I do think, you know, some of your suggestions are, uh, you know, kind of spot on. And I would say hit, um, you know, very close to what I kind of want to do and hit close to home, I would say for sure. Yeah, I think when it comes to deepening relationships, or especially what you touched on just before that physical activity, playing sports, especially with kids or loved ones, that's an excellent way to blow off some steam. And as you said, mm -hmm. kill two birds with one stone, perhaps. <laughs> and I'll say, on the other end of the spectrum, another way that some people like to blow off some steam is a natural opportunity here to weave in the hops. All good things in moderation, of course. And I know this time of year, lots of people participating in dry January, or if they're not abstaining altogether, looking to consciously cut back a little bit, can only credit those undertaking that pursuit. So Ben, in the spirit of quality over quantity, let's say, if you could only have one drink this month, what would it be? <laughs> that is a good question. Yeah, I'm actually, I don't think I'm participating in like the full dry January. What I heard is that if you do one week, a month that ends up being uh i, I want to say it's a, it's obviously like a bit longer it's like something yeah. like two or three um you, you one week a month you don't yeah. drink basically three months like of the year three yeah. months yeah three months of the year so that's actually what i'm going to do this year i actually don't drink um a, a lot in general but one thing uh, my wife makes occasionally is this like spiked uh i'll call it like a shamrock shake basically or something like that obviously uh you know like with a little vodka and like baileys and stuff like that and it's like a shamrock or like a minty type shake like i think that's basically would be like my one jam in the coldest month of the year is to have a little bit of a colder uh thing like that but i have i, I do know you know obviously the props and hops like very much beer focused <laughs> I have, um, I would say, I don't probably have like the same difficulties with gluten that Tej has, but I'm, I'm not the greatest with, you know, some of the heavier beers. So I unfortunately uh, have moved past some of my glory days of, uh, you know, drinking, <laughs> drinking that. So it's kind of, it's kind of like vodka, vodka or bust for me at this point in time, unfortunately. So, or maybe whiskey, I guess. So. 
But. Yeah, very fair. And I'll note that I have experimented in the past as well as trying to identify one week a month and just taking a break altogether. And at times that works great. I will still do it sometimes, but it's not some sort of quota I hold myself to. My MO is to basically stick to not drinking on school nights, so to speak. So that means if I'm recording the show midweek, then usually, despite the name, I don't have a drink in hand that's rare if ever that I do. And I think that that has helped to keep moderation in check. And while I love the hops, I am right there with you in terms of if I could go for one drink this month, I really enjoyed the old fashioned at my neighborhood bar on New Year's yeah. Eve. I went out for a nice dinner with my wife and the presentation was also a work of art. I think a lot of people have said that we drink with our eyes first. And to that end, I posted a photo on Twitter and I just really enjoyed not just the presentation, but of course the drinking experience afterward. And if we're going to draw a parallel to the NFL draft, which you spoke to earlier, I would say that we see a lot of NFL draft trades. I would gladly trade multiple beers right now that would serve as late round picks for <laughs> one of those old fashions is a pretty high end first round pick. Yeah, I actually do really like that take. I would say this, you know, not to go too far off base, but old fashioned has like the widest range of outcomes or the widest distributions from any given restaurant for how good or bad it can actually be. Cause I've had some absolutely phenomenal old fashions that I would say are probably like the best, best drink I've ever had. And I have had some God awful old fashions. I'm not quite sure how you can screw it up so much, but it is uh, <laughs> quite the range of outcomes that you can experience with that one drink, like unmatched, I would say anywhere else. I'm trying to think of anything else off the top of my head. And unfortunately, uh, I'm racking my brain and it's a futile effort right now for sure. Yeah, same here. But I'll say building on what you just said, and in spirit of drinking with your eyes first, if I see more than one ice cube in the glass, then Sorry, that's not a proper old fashioned. I try to keep an open mind. I cannot recall having an old fashioned that didn't have that nice big ice cube that was anywhere near as good as some of the best that I've ever had. So maybe that's just a, a quick little heuristic that people can keep in mind when they're wondering if it's worth getting one at a certain establishment. Yeah, yeah. The only one, the only time that bypasses is when you're at home and uh, and the big cube hasn't basically melted for you or isn't isn't cold enough for you yet, basically, or something like that. Is the only way you can get by with that. If if that's a restaurant serving multiple ice cubes in your old fashioned, I would I would get the fuck out of there pretty quickly for sure. Yeah. So. That's where that's where. Okay, I'm not gonna ask for a refund if my player over prop goes down because that gets hurt on the first play of the game but that might be my version of asking for right. a refund if it's multiple ice cubes and hey <laughs> send it back and we'll try something else um but that's neither here nor there ben this has been such a fun conversation and to the audience who's still with us hopefully you found it to be a fun listen as well have one quick ask for you on youtube or twitter if you could like this video or for those of you in podcast form if you could take five seconds to leave a five-star rating on apple Podcasts or spotify that would be greatly appreciated. Last but not least, however you're listening, a quick friendly reminder that you can support the show by supporting Right Angle Sports. I built a custom link you can check out to do so, tinyurl.com slash raspicks. As we wrap things up, want to remind everybody that you can also follow Ben on Twitter at Ben underscore R underscore Brown underscore. You can also find his work as an NFL data scientist with Sumer Sports and a content contributor for Pinnacle. Ben, once again, this has been a blast. Thank you so much for your time and insight tonight. Yeah, thanks. Talk to you soon. All right. To everybody else watching and listening, once again, thank you for your time. Enjoy week 18 in the NFL. I'll catch you again next week to preview Super Wildcard Weekend. In the meantime, best of luck with your bets on the final slate of the NFL regular season.